I think our problem this morning might be, or my problem, is that we can be misguided about what God's big story, what our big story is in light of God and God's big story is. Or maybe we're even unaware at times that there is a big story. And certainly it's possible that we, wherever we fall in that camp or in the continuum between, we have a hard time understanding our place, our role in the big story. That's certainly been true for me. I've had seasons in my life where I've desired, I've really desired certainty about God and what God's plans for me might be. And that, that's usually been during a time that's more like a valley. We've gone through Psalm 23 the last few weeks and those, those long periods of time where we're in a valley. Because we we want certainty. I want certainty when it comes to salvation. I want assurance that as, as God is our refuge, Jacob reminded us from Psalm 9, assurance that things are going to be okay. But I have consistently learned that we can't pin God down. We can't make God understandable. I'm reminded of C.S. Lewis saying that God makes about as much sense to us as we make sense to an ant. Not our ant, an ant that crawls on the ground. What I hope we do see in these next four weeks can, can help increase our confidence in God and God's place for us in God's world. Even if we can't have a complete understanding of God and God's ways, I know, I believe, on my heart that understanding God's big story can help us in this tremendously. So let's look at this text in John 1 again. Verses 10 through 13, we're going to use over the next four weeks to help guide us through this with some additional texts as well. But stay seated, but, but hear these words again beginning with verse 10. He was in the world, and the world was created through him, meaning Jesus, and yet the world did not recognize him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, he gave them the right to be children of God, to those who believe in his name who were born not of natural descent or of the will of the flesh or of the will of man, but of God. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word. I love the emphasis Susan allowed us into on gospel conversations and the stories she connected it with because we truly are all created to be ministers of the gospel. And so our our emphasis on gospel conversations as a congregation over the next four weeks, and really that we just try to emphasize at all times, we really have a goal, an objective to have some kind of gospel conversation, reminder, or teaching in every worship gathering that we have because we're made to be ministers. We're made to partner with God in God's story. Now, while what we do for God, I don't want to say it that way, as if we can do something for God. What we do with God, rather, that can't save us. It's God's work alone to save us. 
we still must take very seriously what we do spend our time doing. And gospel conversations is among the top things on that list. So, I ask you to consider, as we begin this this study of God's big story, where might God be sending you this year? Whether it's to a different room in your house for a conversation or down the street, a different room in this building with some folks you haven't spent a lot of time with lately for whatever reason, a different city in our state, different state in our country, different country in our world. Where might God be sending you to be the hands and feet of Jesus this year? Who are you going to be allowed to share the gospel that you have hidden in your heart that you believe? Who are you going to be allowed to share that with? Is it going to be somebody that you invite to come live with you for 10 years? Maybe not. Who is going to be that person or those persons whom you share the gospel with? And how are you going to get plugged into your church family this year, additionally to what you already are? Maybe it's additional. Maybe it's a change for you. How are you going to serve the kingdom alongside the body of Christ with us this year? Because we're all called to be ministers. One of the main ways that we live and we interact in the world, ministering, is by telling stories. We try to do that during the offertory time each week. TV series, movies, they've long been um, among the chief entertainment vehicles. Some of my favorite ways to interact with different stories this, in this day and age is through podcasts. I just love podcasts. And some of my favorite ones are collections of stories or a single story. I love biographies. People's individual stories and the, the stories of their lives in community, they're always appealing to me as well. We've sadly been reintroduced, maybe some of us for the first time, to Kobe Bryant's story in the last week. As we were meeting last week, the tragedy in um, Los Angeles uh, was happening uh, a week ago. Some incredible um, reminders of his story and the stories around that devastating incident. Stories are the way that we keep count of our lives, of each other. The word story was not always presented to me in a positive light, though. I can still hear Mima. That's my great-grandmother. She's with Jesus now, probably telling him what to do. But <laughs> love you, Mima. Warning me not to tell a story, right? Now, she didn't mean not to tell a story. She loved my story. She meant when I was lying. Don't tell a story, Brandon. Yes, that word in the right context is synonymous with a lie. Now, don't look at me like that. You know what I'm talking about. Aren't we all prone to adjust a detail or two here and there? Leslie Ann and I got to go out to dinner this week on a date. It was great. It was the first one in a while, and I was reminded when we're out, I like to ask our server, you know, about them. I like to ask their name and, and get to know them. I find that to be a great place for a gospel conversation, for sure. So I try to, to open up the line of communication 
without being weird. Because if you get to the point where I'm sharing what I do for a living, it's pretty easy for me to come across as a salesman in a gospel conversation. Nothing wrong with being a salesman. Those are some of the, I mean, more meaningful interactions I've had in my life with people who are talking about something they believe in. But it can come across as this guy standing here telling this man or woman who's serving about the church that he pastors, wanting them to come and tithe. It can come across that way. But you, you can be super authentic when you're having gospel conversations with your server or whomever. You don't come across as a salesperson. Now, I hope we're an open community. I hope you love your church so much that you can't help but tell people about the church at Harpeth Heights. I pray that prayer every day, actually. And then I go a little further, and I pray this prayer, that we would be an open community that, that really wants new people to come in and be a part of our community, that we don't hoard the great community that we have here because everybody's going to find community somewhere. And if it's not here with us, it'll be somewhere else. And it may not be a church family. Almost always when I'm trying to learn someone's story, I'll ask them where they're from. I'm interested in where people are from. I like to tell people where I'm from. I asked our server the other night at dinner, and it was another example of what is happening increasingly more and more. And there's nothing wrong with this. It's just the way it is. But I'll ask that question, and whomever whomever I'm asking it to will kind of give me that look. And you've all seen this look, the the, the pause, the kind of blank stare, the, okay, what, what place am I supposed to answer this question with? Because I've lived in several different places. And that's happening more and more. I think by and large, people want to engage in a conversation about who we are and where we're from, though. I think we want to be interesting. But people are just increasingly more and more from all over. It's becoming a more difficult question to answer. And the political climate has helped create a situation where occasionally it can be rude to ask somebody where they're from. Recently, I was able to talk to a gentleman for the first time, and he was obviously from somewhere in Latin America. And I was genuinely interested in where he was from. I wanted to know him. I wanted to know his story. But I could tell that asking him where he was from threw him off. And it was perfectly reasonable for him to be skeptical of why I was asking him that question. With all that said, however hard it may be these, de- these days for whatever reason, Our stories are still one of the primary ways we come together and form community, one of the primary ways we become friends, one of the primary ways that we establish, determine, figure out common ground between one another and move forward in relationship. Now, each week when we gather here together, we are retelling our story. That's part of the main objectives of our worship gatherings together is we want to be reminded of the story that binds us, the big story, so that we know it even better, so that we can hear it perhaps differently for the first time. So what is our story? Well, we need to at least couch the next four weeks in what it is. And I pray that you all know it, but it's still important to remind one another of it. First, we'll go back to the Jesus Storybook Bible. 
our ministerial team read some of it at the Christmas Eve service. And in the beginning of that storybook Bible, Sally Lloyd-Jones puts it like this. The Bible is not a book of rules or a book of heroes, primarily. The Bible is most of all a story. It's an adventure story about a young hero who comes from a faraway country to win back his lost treasure. There are lots of stories in the Bible, but all of the stories in the Bible are telling one big story. The story of how God loves his children and comes to rescue them. The story of how God loves his children and comes to rescue him. There's one good example of what our big story is. Now, we have gone to some trouble to, as a church family, to provide booklets. Um, We've had them for a while now, but they help in our gospel conversations. And some of this curriculum is used in how we teach our gospel conversations. And it's from Family Church in Florida, Pastor Jimmy Scroggins, and they've come up with these booklets and uh, a certain way um, that I really like called the Three Circles Technique to help explain our story, God's story. And it begins with God's design. So we should have, yeah, there it is. The circle, the first one, that begins with God's design. And so if you look in our text today from John 1, it says that he was in the world and the world came into being through him. And that's specifically talking about Jesus and our Trinitarian theology teaches us that the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit were, are all one, three persons in one, and we're all there in creation and responsible for creation. And the Son, everything was created through him. The Apostle John teaches us here. And that was part of God's design, was creation. We'll get back to that. But second uh, circle is brokenness, and that comes from sin, which leads to brokenness. And sin, we understand from Romans 3.23, is something that we all have engaged in. We've all sinned and fallen short of God's glory. Or from our text in John 1, we, we didn't know Jesus. We didn't accept Jesus. We didn't accept the design that God intended for us. So sin leads to brokenness. And the trees in the Garden of Eden, there were two of them. There was the tree of life, and there was the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And the tree of knowledge of good and evil was partaken of, if you know the story. And that led to us having God's eyes and understanding brokenness, understanding good and evil and being prone to it. And so things became broken. And so we live with the consequences of knowing good and evil. So we live in a world that suffers the consequences of evil. And we see that in a variety of ways, too often in how we treat one another. If you're not following what's going on in Australia right now, That's a sign of the brokenness in the world. It's literally on fire, affecting so many communities and people. We saw it in the story of Kobe Bryant, his precious daughter, and the other families on the helicopter, this evidence of brokenness. We see it in the the scare that all of us are are at least somewhat under with the the news about the coronavirus and, and, and controlling it and how it is spreading far too rapidly through our world. We live in a broken place. Sin has caused it. 
we've run contrary to God's intentions for our lives. But through Jesus, there is a way. Through repentance and belief in the third circle, which is the gospel, we understand that Jesus is God's answer to the problem of brokenness in the world created by sin. And that God intends to recover things, us, all of creation, to pursue us in a way that will ultimately, through Jesus' return again, make all things new and restore them to their original intent. These are the three circles. These detail our big story, God's big story. I love the Bible Project as well. The Bible Project details our purpose in light of God's big story to be this, created in the image of God. You're created in God's image. I hope you know that. You're a reflection of God's character. I hope you know that. You are representative of God's rule in the world. And you are called out to harness creation's potential and to help create beauty and order, precisely because that is what we are created for. And we have already been called out to work with God. Paul calls us co-laborers to help make the world as it was intended to be. That's not on our shoulders. That's God's work to do. But God has graciously called us to participate with God to make earth more like heaven. I was having a conversation with one of my sons this week. And he was asking me when Jesus ultimately comes back, where are we all going to be? It's a great question. I don't exactly know the answer to that question. It's tough to tell your kid, I'm not entirely sure. But scripture does teach us that it's going to be here on earth. According to passages in Isaiah and Revelation. Fascinating. That it seems that God is going to set up God's rule here on earth. When Jesus ultimately comes back again. And our text in John 1 says, says that we have become children of God by God's will, and that we're invited to be a part of this forever family is the way the Jesus Storybook Bible characterizes it over and over again. And you've been invited to be a part of that. As Jay Strother said, I reminded you last week, not just invited over for dinner, but asked to stay, to live, to be a part of the family as a child of God. And heaven will be here on earth, we believe. And we will all live together with Jesus as our king and us as God's children. N.T. Wright says that our mission is derived from God's own mission so that the mission of God in the world, the working out of God's big story, is God's commitment to make God's self known throughout creation, ultimately for the purpose of redeeming and restoring creation. So, This is a good definition for what God's story is. The story of God making himself known. That is the grand narrative of the Bible. That is the big story as well. And if the grand story of the Bible in our world is God making himself known, then our missional activities, the way that you're called out to minister, the things that you believe God has called you to do, and the way the church helps you understand how you use your giftedness in God's kingdom, they directly flow from God's mission in the world. 
so that the world may know this story and ultimately know Jesus as their king. So let's go back to the beginning of this story, to creation, what God's intention was for creation. Over and over again in Genesis 1 and 2, God says that creation is good, very good. In fact, we were created for good. Genesis 2, 16 and 17. I've got it up here. God made the two. I don't think that, I I think I gave you the wrong one, Greg. So I'm just going to read it straight from the, the Bible here. We don't have to always rely on equipment, do we? Genesis two sixteen and 17. And the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of knowledge, good and evil. For on the day you eat from it, you'll certainly die. The first command was not to not eat from the tree of good and evil, knowledge of good and evil. The first command was to eat from any tree you want to. I think this is an important distinction that lets us in on an important characteristic of creation and what it means for us, that we are created for good, that the earth is a gift, that God begins with a positive instead of beginning with what we cannot do. I certainly need to parent that way more often. You can eat from these trees. You can enjoy this. This is for you. Elliot, my eight-year-old, this is awesome, on the way to school, best conversations happen on the way to school. He was telling me this week that he imagines God, sometimes he imagines God standing right there in front of him. He said, I find myself imagining what God would look like. I love that Elliot thinks God's right there with him. I hope he always thinks God is right there beside him. You know what I mean? Like in those times when he's trying to make pretty hard decisions. Keep that up, buddy. But that picture of God standing there watching Elliot's every step or yours, if that picture is Elliot imagining that God's waiting to punish him, correct him, tell him what he's done wrong, That's a picture of a somewhat abusive parent that I'm far too often guilty of. That's the opposite of the picture our big story, God's big story paints. God is not a parent-like figure seeking to correct and punish. Rather, God first is a gift giver. And creation is the gift. And you are called to enjoy it. Hear me, people. Brandon, hear yourself. Enjoy it because we can be so terrible at receiving gifts. And this is often because we're pretty selfish. This is how I identify with this. And spoiled, and I can easily convince myself that something else would have been better for me. So selfish. I can be such a terrible gift receiver. But creation is a gift, and I need to receive it. Life is a gift, and it is given to us by God. And in our big story, in God's big story, it is the first gift. And it is given to us to enjoy because God loves you. One of my favorite writers is Wendell Berry. 
and in his story about the barber and church uh, janitor and gravedigger, Jaber Crow, who lived in Port William, there is this passage that I'd like to read you if you would indulge me. Wendell is talking through Jaber about the experiences Jaber has at the church that he cleans every Friday night to get ready for worship on Sunday. And he's speaking of his preacher, his pastor, who far too often speaks of a world that is not to be enjoyed, a world that is doomed and seemingly irrecoverable. In Port William, Javer says, more than any place else I've known, this religion that scorned the beauty and goodness of the world was a puzzle to me. To begin with, I didn't think anybody believed it, and I still don't think so. Those world-condemning sermons that we heard every week were preached to people who on Sunday mornings would be wearing their prettiest clothes. Even the older widows in their dark dresses would be pleasing to look at. By dressing up on the one day that they had leisure not to do it, they signified their wish to present themselves to one another and to heaven looking their best. And y'all look good too. The people who heard those sermons, they loved good crops. They loved good gardens. They loved good trees. They loved to laugh. They loved music. And some of them could make a fair speech every now and then on the pleasures of good food, good water, or a good patch of wild raspberries. I don't think Wendell meant good water, but anyway, something else. While the wickedness of the flesh was preached from the pulpit, the young husbands and wives and the courting couples, they sat next to one another, full of yearning and joy. And the old people thought of the beauty of children. And when church was over, they would go to their heavenly dinners of fried chicken and mashed potatoes and hot biscuits and cherry pie. And I know you do that because you've invited me. Wendell was reminded, I declare, Miss Pauline, said Brother Preston, who was having Sunday dinner with the Gibbs family, those certainly are good biscuits. I can't even remember how many I've eaten. Preacher said, Uncle Stanley, that one right there makes eight. (laughs) Created to enjoy what God has given us. I'm reminded of Uncle Screwtape and C.S. Lewis's Screwtape letters who said, He, being God, has filled the earth so full of pleasures. So full of pleasures. Christ-centeredness. Understanding that the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. Understanding that it was all of this as a gift created through Jesus. Christ-centeredness is not opposed to the creation. It's opposed to the fall. We should be life affirming and creation enjoying. Christians should be having a whole lot more fun appropriately. When we enjoy life, we honor the design that God intended for us to understand and honor. And we live in obedience to God and in in turn give God the glory. Hallelujah. For the Lord God Almighty reigns. We testify with our lives to who, in fact, deserves the glory. But when we fail to live out of this abundance, when we fail to enjoy creation, when we fail to make our enjoyment of the gifts that God has given us the reason for our obedience, the reason for our understanding that God loves us, we fail to testify to God's original design. 
We fail to testify to the beginning of God's story. And we do not glorify God. Rather, we glorify ourselves. And in doing so, we reject God's design. So remember this morning that creation is a gift. That life is a gift. That your fried chicken is a gift to enjoy. Because God loves you. And has given all of this to you. Let's pray.